Hello, everyone, and welcome into this episode of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I'm going to be talking a little bit of NBA. Talking, um, I don't know, really. There's one. There's a few topics I definitely want to hammer down with the NBA here off the top, and then I think I'm going to kind of do a big picture talk here at the end based on uh, just kind of stuff that relates to football, relates to labels, relates to perception that can pretty much how labels can define things, right? But that's not where we're going to start today. We're going to start with the Brooklyn Nets and specifically Kyrie Irving. He's back. And I didn't talk about the whole Kyrie thing when it was happening uh, where he just left for a few days or a few weeks, actually. And I just wanted to share a few stories here of Kyrie Irving that probably is going to make you... Because you can do... He, he does do a lot of good things that you've probably heard in the news with the thing with his uh, Native American past, the things with buying George Floyd's family a house, and a lot of other activism things that he's done off the court that he spent money on paying for kids to go to school which a lot of these guys actually do a lot of that stuff, which it's really weird sometimes because I don't... The NBA could promote it more. Like, the NFL does that all the time, and I don't know why the NBA doesn't because I, I watch a lot of their games, and I don't see that stuff as much as the NFL. Maybe because it's less NFL games, but whatever. That's beside the point. I'm going to tell you a few Kyrie Irving stories about his background before he even got to Brooklyn, before he even got to Boston that you probably didn't know. I got this information from the... Return of the King book by Brian Windhorse and Dave McMenamin. They wrote this book about the uh, LeBron James returning to Cleveland and winning a championship for the Cavaliers. And that's where it ends. It ends at, uh, at the end of 2016. That's how the book ends. Uh, and in that, I read it a few months ago. And there's a few things in there that I jotted down about Kyrie Irving. I didn't know these things. And a lot of times, like when I got into hip hop, and rappers, a lot of times it really helped to go and like read their uh, Spotify used to have, I don't know if they have it anymore, but they used to have like a bio page and you would go and read their like background about all of the things that they did, all the mixtapes that they had to do to get up there, maybe their childhood and stuff like that, how they got discovered. Cause I always like that stuff. Cause I think it's interesting. Uh, but with Kyrie Irving, when he was four, first off, he was born in Australia. And when he was uh, four years old, his mother passed away from an illness. So can you just, first off, just imagine that. Uh, losing a parent's hard, but losing a parent when you're four years old is something that shapes your life forever. And I don't want to get into a whole discussion on on that, but that that's something that's very mentally, emotionally tough that I would not wish on anyone. I don't know how my life would be differently if I had to grow up since the age of four without either of my parents in my life. So that's another thing. Another thing, his dad, during the 2011, or excuse me, 9-11 attacks, he worked. They were back in the United States, obviously. He worked in the World Trade Center the day 
that 9-11 happened. And he ended up escaping. He had no way to contact his son. He came home, and his son wasn't sure if he'd lost his second parent. Okay. So those are two things right off the bat there that are very emotionally, uh, those things that are just uh, fantastic journalistic work by McMiniman and Windhorse to get those stories out of Kyrie Irving a few years ago. Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about too was during the 2016 season, he was dating an R&B singer named Kalani, Kalani Parrish, I believe was her last name. And it was a public relationship. So a lot of it was on social media, a lot of that stuff. How it ended was she cheated on Kyrie Irving or allegedly cheated on Kyrie Irving with her ex-boyfriend, uh, rapper, musician, Party Next Door is his music name. Cheated on him. And then a few days after that story kind of got out, she attempted suicide. And with all that stuff, so Kyrie Irving, the, the whole point of saying that stuff is Kyrie Irving has gone through stuff in his life. And all of that was, I'm 24 years old now. When that moment happened in 2016, he was 24 years old. So he's went through a lot of things in his life. A lot of emotional things that, and I've had some, a lot of things in my life that uh, happened personally to me that affected my life. And a lot of things I don't want to share with people. Things that are very hard for me to even share with my closest friends. I couldn't imagine sharing even with coworkers. With all of that being said, after all of those stories and stuff, after all the other things, sometimes, and I don't understand why sometimes athletes can't figure it out. And I don't think I heard anyone say that Kyrie Irving leaving because of personal reasons, because of emotional things, uh, maybe even things going on in this country. I don't think anyone out there said to don't take care of your mental health. Don't take care of things with your family. But sometimes these players don't understand optics and how things look to the media that might not understand everything that you're going through. Like him taking off time in a pandemic and then it looks like he's violating COVID protocol is bad optics. Him not talking to his teammates and not giving his team a reason for being gone is bad optics. A lot of the stuff that happened in Boston was bad optics. And the thing is, too, with Kyrie Irving, I don't, like, teammates don't dislike him. I think teammates actually like him. If you go through his entire career, I think most of those guys in Cleveland have a lot of love and respect for him. I think all of the Boston players have a lot of love and respect for him. I think a lot of the Brooklyn players do, even though they might have gotten mad at times where, where there was spells that Kyrie Irving had in his, uh, time there where he wouldn't communicate he wasn't being a good communicator and he was being kind of distant from his teammates that's really the only bad thing about it but as far as a teammate in every other aspect it's he seems to be hitting out of the park the people that really have a problem with Kyrie Irving are like the front office in Boston that have a bunch of stories that probably make Kyrie Irving look really bad that they aren't letting out because they don't want to get that stuff out because they don't want to not get free agents in the future. Same thing with Brooklyn. But it's bad optics when you are getting paid $35 million a year and you are 
taking time off of work and it looks like you're partying at a birthday party uh, in the middle of a pandemic, violating COVID protocol, which could affect the league's money. It could affect uh, your teams being able to play and it's definitely affecting your money. And it's that bad optic of single rich athlete can leave work because he's valuable. And I couldn't do that in my job. You couldn't do that in your job probably. So that's really the bad optics with it. And sometimes athletes can't figure out the optics. I'm rooting for Kyrie uh, just because I I reread this stuff today to uh, prepare for this podcast. And I was just like, oh, my God, because I knew the thing that the mother dying. I forgot about the his father being in the building for 9-11. And I remembered the girlfriend thing, which just sucks. But again, those were those were deep things. So if he needed to take time off for personal stuff and he didn't take off time personally for the girlfriend thing, like he's you have to believe him, especially with the things he's gone through in his life. And we're all glad that he's back. And while we're talking about the Nets, I might as well just talk about them as a basketball team here real fast. It's going to work. They're going to score points. The only question is, is it going to work in the playoffs? And the big three, who is going to take a step back? Because every single big three that we have ever had in the history of basketball, someone always takes a step back. In Miami, it was Bosch in Golden State. It was Clay in Boston. It was Ray Allen. You just go back through the history of the league Some in a big three someone always takes a step back and it's just interesting here because a lot of times the guy that takes a step back takes a step back and uh like ray allen was more like all right instead because he ray allen used to be like a really good like scorer with the ball in his hands and he turned offensively into a catch and shoot guy which he was perfect at clay thompson kind of the same thing and focused a lot more on defense both those guys focused more on defense bosch focused more on defense and if you were going to ask me, all right, which one of these guys three would be able to step back? That isn't Kevin Durant, because Kevin Durant shouldn't take a step back. Wouldn't take a step back and has to focus on defense. Kyrie or Harden? Uh, <laughs> you'd have to say Kyrie because he's the least talented of the three, and Kyrie Irving's extremely talented. And also, you have to wonder when this gets in... Obviously, the defense, if you listen to anyone talk about it, their personnel needs to change. They need to get guys that can guard and beat, or uh, Giannis and uh, LeBron, or not LeBron, but AD, because that's really where you're in the mismatch from now. Because right now, you're relying on like Jeff Green and crunch time. And again, I think the roster will change. They'll make some moves. They have that Spencer Dinwiddie piece that they can, I don't know how it works moving someone when they're like injured but that's a piece that they have that they could move to get something. Let's see a few other NBA stuff. The, I don't know what the Pelicans are doing. The Zion thing. I don't, I just don't know. They added a weird coach. They, the roster moves that they've had haven't made any sense. Lonzo. I I think it's time that we give up on Lonzo ever being a star. It's just not happening. And it's amazing from where he was like just a year and a half ago where he was the main he was the main piece in the Anthony Davis trade. It wasn't Brandon Ingram. 
it wasn't the fourth pick in the draft. It was Alonzo. And it's amazing, too, when you compare how just like how LaMelo has came up and how it's been a much smoother transition for him after watching Lonzo do it. And I also think that LeVar kind of set Lonzo up on this impossible pedestal that he could never live up to. And I think it really affected his career. And now he's in New Orleans and he's like the, not even the second fiddle, he's like the third fiddle because Brandon Ingram's the best player on that team. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because it's he's got a he's going to negotiate a contract this off season, and I don't know how much he's worth. If he has a good stretch, he might make money, but he hasn't gotten better. It seems like he doesn't really know what kind of player he is. He's not that Jason Kidd who's really good on defense and is just a distributor on offense, and is consistently getting like 10, 10, 10 point triple you know, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 10 point triple doubles. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Pelicans do. I wouldn't be surprised if they move off Lonzo. I think we'd all love to see Lonzo go join LaMelo. I, I'm still rooting for Lonzo. I want him to do good. I don't wish anything bad on him, but also LaMelo's been better than I thought. He actually, because I, I think when I thought like LaMelo coming to Charlotte, I thought it was just going to be like, all right, LaMelo's going to control the ball the entire game. He's going to shoot like, he's going to score like 27 points, but he's going to shoot like 27% from the field. And it's just going to be a disaster. But it hasn't worked. It hasn't been that way. Gordon Hayward's been good. They've been a pretty good team. They played good team basketball. That Borrega is a really good coach in Charlotte. The other thing I wanted to talk about was once something becomes a label in sports, in business, in politics, in a lot of different aspects of life, once we put a label on something, once we say, oh, this is how things are, this is ha ha ha, ha. like this is how this thing happens, it's hard to shake that mold. Here's an example for sports. The Big 12 plays no defense in football. It is just every game is 55 to 52. And it's like you really look back on it and no. No, that's not how it works. It was just a few games where Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield and a few other guys who are NFL superstars were in the league. And yes, these defenses that they were playing weren't Alabama or LSU on a championship year, but they were average if above average, but they were just getting torched because they were offensive genius coach combined with talented players and they were putting up ridiculous stats. And it was actually just a few games versus an entire conference being inept. But again, we put a label on it. We labeled it. And that's the perception. And now if anyone ever wants to point out a bad defense, they will reference, look, big 12 bad defense even though both teams in the SEC championship game dang near gave up 50. But we don't talk about them being bad defenses. In business, oh, Facebook. Facebook's just, oh, it's horrible. Old people selling your dad, all these different things. Bad perception. Now, Facebook's not really the thing, the website that brings them the most money now. It's Instagram. So Facebook's still okay because they own Instagram, but Facebook, perception, 
And I'm not even going to disagree with the perception of Facebook. But perception, now it's lame. Now it's it's got a label. We, we don't want it. Young people don't want it. Happens politics here, but you can, whether, whether which side you lay on the political spectrum, you can think of your own excuse for that, of why the other party is labeled a certain way or why your party's labeled a certain way. I'll let you do that at home. This has happened in the NFL too, and I touched on this a little bit in the pod yesterday with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. There's a perception built up with the Packers. Oh, Aaron Rodgers, poor Aaron Rodgers, that defense, that defense just always lets him down every single year. He's getting into all of these shootouts in the playoffs, and oh, he's putting up 48. He's always putting up points in the playoffs, always putting up numbers, and his defense just keeps letting him down. But if you actually, and again, you can go and look at statistics, and in one game can also like skid statistics and a whole season. But you're Aaron Rodgers; you get your team into the playoffs every year. If your team's giving up has a bad defense all year, if they play well in the playoffs, you should be fine. And if you go back and look at all the playoff games that Aaron Rodgers has played, is really only like one game that I found where I could definitively say. Yeah, his defense really is really the reason that they lost. And that was the uh, Colin Kaepernick game where the 49ers just ran all over him and killed him and just really blew the doors off. And that was really the only one. You can say the Arizona game, but if you actually go back and look at that game and look at the summary of that game, guess the defense wasn't great for the Packers. But the reason that the Packers lost that game was because Aaron Rodgers started off the game with an interception. Then the next drive, then then Arizona goes and scores a touchdown. Then the next drive, a fumble, Arizona goes and scores another touchdown. Oh, the game goes to overtime. Who gets the ball first? Don't we love to criticize defenses when the other team gets the ball first and the defense gives up a touchdown, doesn't even let the offense have another chance to get out on the field? Oh, no, Aaron Rodgers got the ball that overtime. And strip sack, Arizona picks it up, touchdown, game over. Anyway... You go back and look at all this stuff, and his defense really hasn't like let him down like seven times in the playoffs like people like to say. Some of these games, and, and again, you can just look at the final score and you can disagree with me, but you have to go back. You could look at the 49ers game last year and say, oh, well, the defense. The defense clearly let him down. Okay, you're Aaron Rodgers. You were supposedly the most talented quarterback ever. You have an offensive coach. You have offensive weapons. You have a good old line. You have good running backs. You can't score a single point in the first half. I don't know. I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. And again, at the end of the game, because he, when, when the defenses shift back or playing more prevent and the Packers playing catch up, Aaron Rodgers gets a few touchdowns, throws a bunch of yards. And at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, oh, he's got a few touchdowns. He threw for a decent amount of yards. But look, the, the other team scored a bunch of points. It what, what? Because kind of defense and offense are related. If an offense is really doing well, that gives defense more time. But if you're an offense, you keep giving the ball back to the other team's offense, your defense is going to suffer more. Again, the same thing that Atlanta game. No first half points for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Again, you're Aaron Rodgers. How can you not do that? All right, and I, I tweeted this. The last three AFC Championship games, all losses, 
All right, and that, those were two of them that I just said, Atlanta and San Francisco. The other one was Seattle in, was it 2014, I think. And Aaron Rodgers had a good game in that. Remember, it was Seattle. They're the Legion of Boom. They're the most daunting defense. How about in that first half? Packers got 16 points. How many points did Seattle score? Zero. Did his defense let him down in that game? Seattle did come back and win in the second half. They did get a touchdown in overtime, the first possession in overtime. But again, to say that if you're Aaron Rodgers, you have a 16-0 lead, you blew a 16-point lead. And again, I'm rating this guy on the highest scale that you can possibly have. But the perception that, hey, let's look at uh, just overall for the course of a season and blame the Packers on why on why they don't their defense sucks. It's just not true. It's not true that it's actually happening in these big games where he's getting in every year he's getting into a shootout and he's got to save them. He is awesome, but some of these games like you can't. I need more. And if you can't beat a 43-year-old Tom Brady, this is why he's under the most pressure. Because a lot of people are going to start looking this stuff up and discovering this. And again, those those games that I all just said were all on the road. And this game's at home. So you like, you like his chances in this. But... Again, I'm trying to remove that label from this. Even though it's it's kind of true, but it's not the whole story, right? It's not the whole story. Okay. That's going to be the podcast for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your grandma. Tell whoever. I don't care. Don't tell anyone. I don't care. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Listen to this podcast in secret. And don't tell anyone. Do whatever you want. As always, go follow me on on Instagram and Twitter at JWSDetective. Again, thank you so much. And I will see you guys next time. Yeah.